You're listening to the Quality of Love Podcast, your home for all things love, relationship, and mental health. Hosted by nationally certified life and relationship coach, Tyrone Dixon. Sit back, relax, and get tips on creating the life you deserve without wasting any more time. Welcome to the Quality of Love Podcast. I'm your host, Tyrone Dixon, nationally certified life and relationship coach, husband, father to two beautiful princesses, and CEO and founder of a Rose Through Concrete Consulting. Thank you guys for taking the time out to listen in with us tonight. We really appreciate it. Tonight, you've made it to another hump day, guys. We're back to Wednesday, so that means we have another question and answer episode geared up and ready to go for you guys. Before we get into our episode tonight, just want to make sure if you have not done so yet, you guys go check out my interview with credit strategist Josh Mastin. Uh, the guy dropped some incredible jewels the other day on us. Um, it, the Apple car, how you get a free Apple car jewel is, is impeccable. So again, if you haven't heard that, you, you could get a free Apple car, credit card that is, Apple credit card. Um, just go back and listen to that episode. He dropped the tools on how to get that. Um, and just a, a lot of gems on, on being smart about your credit and using your credit to your advantage. So check that interview out, man. Uh, Josh is a good friend of mine, and I'm very, very proud of the, the person he's becoming because I won't say the person he's become because I see the growth in him still. So the person that he's becoming, it's, it's, it's very impressive uh, to watch the growth of this gentleman and to be able to call him a friend. All right? It's an honor to me. So go check that episode out. He dropped a ton of gems. Tonight's quote comes from an anonymous author, and it reads, Life becomes easier when we learn to accept apologies we never got. Once again, that quote is, Life becomes easier when we learn to accept apologies we never got. And again, that quote is from an anonymous author, but I probably read this quote first originally about two or three years ago. Um, and I found it the other day looking through some of my business stuff and I, it just, it was appropriate for what, what I was thinking about during the week on last week. And one of the things that's big or has become big in my life, um, after learning neuro-linguistics programming or NLP is being able to understand that people aren't always on the level of maturity that you are and being and understanding and knowing that because people are not on the same level of maturity you are they may not apologize for things that you might find offensive or they may not be able to recognize your needs and the things that that you need from them in relationships and in a lot of cases we take that burden on and we look at it like wow i can't believe this person isn't apologizing or i can't believe this person isn't receptive to who i am and cares about my needs but realistically, I think that um, carrying those type of burdens and carrying um, vengefulness or unforgiveness hinders us, right? Hinders us. It's like, as I've been told in the past, it's like carrying a burden without another person even knowing about it, right? So give it some thought. Think about that um, and, and try to understand and accept apologies that don't come from people that you think they should because they're not on the same level of maturity you are, right? And don't let it hinder your growth or your ability to want to grow. Question number one from our relationship and mental health side of things. What would you do if you were in a one-sided relationship? Once again, that question is, what would you do 
if you were in a one-sided relationship. I think the very first thing that I would do in a one-sided relationship is have a conversation with my partner, um, dependent upon where you are in the relationship. So if you still care and love this person enough to want to continue to work on trying to make it a healthy relationship, then I would have a conversation with my partner and I will let them know that I feel like the relationship at this point in time is one-sided and try to work on things that we both can do in terms of compromising to make the relationship uh, more beneficial and appropriate for both parties. If the partner is not receptive to that, then I think that you have to, at some point, put your foot down, for lack of better words and lack of better term, put your foot down and let them know that you won't move forward um, if they continue to behave and act in the way that they act, or you continue to feel in the way that you feel like um, they don't value you or your needs aren't important. Because the worst thing that you can do in a relationship, well, I won't say the worst thing, but one of the worst things that you can do in a relationship is not show value in your partner and their needs. And if your partner is expressing that they feel like the relationship at this time, at this point in time is one sided, then that means their needs are not being acknowledged. Right. And if that goes on, you'll eventually start to feel resentment towards your partner. And I'd say uh, cut the snake off at the head before. And I know that sounds harsh, but it, it can cause a lot of pain to continue to go on in a one sided relationship to you and your partner, because sometimes they're subconsciously operating in a manner that they're operating. Question number two, why doesn't my boyfriend tell me I love you anymore? Once again, that question is, why doesn't my boyfriend tell me I love you anymore? Um, That could be, that's that's a tricky question, obviously, uh, because everything that we talk about from this point forward is pure speculation. But I will look to um, the fact if, if something happened in the relationship that hurt his feelings or um, harmed him or made him feel insecure, after he said he loved you or if at times in a relationship he says that he loves you and you don't acknowledge it or you don't say I love you back or thank you and I appreciate you. Um, words of affirmation is what I what I comes to mind as you're saying this. It sounds like he's words of affirmation is something that you need and it might also be something that he needs as well that you're not aware of. So if in the past he said something like I love you or appreciate you and showing you a level of affection and you have not acknowledged it or received it in the way that he thought it should be received, he could subconsciously shut down towards you and subconsciously shut his feelings down towards you and feel like saying I love you doesn't mean anything or it doesn't hold the weight that it should with you. Right. And that's a, a very correctable issue in a relationship because you go to him and ask him like, hey, why don't you say I love you anymore? And once he says the reasoning, be receptive to that no matter what it is and start to work on it. Right. Because men deal with a lot. And I know this. I'm coming from the perspective of a man, obviously, but men deal with a lot um, of things that they don't speak about. And one of the things that he may not be speaking on is that he, at when he says, I loved you, or when he has says, I loved you in the past, it wasn't received the way that he wanted. Right. And that could be something he's not comfortable with talking about or comfortable with expressing outright. So you might have to kind of pull it out of him. But either way, um, you sound like you need words of affirmation in your relationship. And it sounds like that hearing it, hearing it more might mean some more to you. So um, seek that. And the last thing I'll say to you is 
do a love languages quiz. And if you guys don't have time to do a quiz, go back to season one of the Quality of Love podcast. And I speak a little bit about love languages and try to identify where your love languages lie and where his love languages lie. And it just helps with um, communicating more effectively, I'll say. Question number three, how do I understand my girlfriend's depression? Once again, that question is, how do I understand my girlfriend's depression? Uh, That's a very difficult thing to do um, and a very difficult question to answer um, as well. What I'll say in this instance is you want to be completely receptive to whatever she has going on. And whatever way she wants to express herself, allow her the safe space to do so. Because depression is very real. Um, And there's sometimes uh, people face depression and they're unaware of what it is. And they're not um, comfortable talking about it. And they don't feel like they don't feel like they can they can express themselves and they may come across as weak. So um, allow her to have a safe space with you. And then as she starts to continue to open up to you a little more, invite her to seek professional help. Uh, depression is a very, very, I know I said it's real, but it's its, it's very difficult to, to quantify it, the scales of it, the scope of it. And if you're, you've never been depressed or you've never experienced depression, it's hard to describe, right? Some people think that it looks like, oh, you're always down or you're always sad um, and you're just kind of in a down state. But some people have functional depression, which I found out at a point in time, I believe I had. And it's being able to still function and do the tasks that you 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 do, like go to work. Right. But still but feeling a deep, deep depression while you're working or just throwing yourself into things like working overtime and, and working long hours in order to not have to think about the the pain or the things that you may have experienced in the past. All right. So, again, just to reiterate, offer her a safe space with you to allow her to express herself and ultimately um Try to encourage her to seek professional help because depression is difficult to deal with on its own. Question number four, should people admit they are depressed? Once again, that question is, should people admit they are depressed? I would say yes. Uh, Admitting you are depressed is is a first step to being able to really, really get help. Um, I know that's easier said than done for sure. Right. I, I, I just mentioned that I had my own brief battles with depression and it's very easy to, um, like psych yourself out and tell yourself, no, you're fine. You're fine. Or not wanting, having coming from a background that had a lot of stigma associated with depression, not wanting to be that odd person out that everyone's kind of attaching and label attaching, excuse me, and labeling with the stigma. So, um, definitely, I think that admitting depression is a very good way to start the, the healing process, but you can't just admit it, right? So admitting it is one thing you have to seek professional help, in my opinion, um, the help of a therapist, uh, the help of a psychologist, whatever, whatever mental health counselor, whatever makes you feel comfortable. Um, but seeking the help of a professional that has the tools and techniques to be able to help you successfully navigate barriers that you're going to face with depression is highly recommended, right? So step one, admitting, yes, that's awesome, but you want to take it a step further and then actually go seek the help that you know you need. Question number five, do you love taking care of your mental health? If so, why? Once again, that question is, 
Do you love taking care of your mental health? If so, why? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of my favorite things to do is take care of my mental health. And I feel like um, taking care of my mental health allows me to be a better me. Right. Uh, I've said this on the show before. I say it in person all the time. And actually, I'm happy things are opening back up. We can hopefully start to run some workshops here soon um, for the public again. But uh, I say it all the time. If you don't take care of yourself or if you're not your best self, then you can't be your best for everybody else. Right. So I really, really believe in taking care of my mental health. That's a top priority for me so that I'm able to be my most effective Tyrone for my family and uh, for those I'm, I'm looking forward to helping or I look forward to helping at, at any given time or any given occasion. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. I love taking care of my mental health. And the reason I love taking care of my mental health is because it allows me to be a more effective person for those who I can impact in life. Question number six. What was the last straw in your toxic relationship? Once again, that question is, what was the last straw in your toxic relationship? I'd say the last straw in my toxic relationship that I, that comes to mind, my most toxic relationship that comes to mind. I know that sounds bad, but I uh, I am um, not ashamed to admit that I've, I've had several toxic relationships. But I would say the most in my most toxic relationship that I've ever had, the last straw for me was um, the the person that I was with telling me that I I was nothing or I wouldn't amount to nothing. Um, and just constantly berating me and belittling me. And then the last straw was me starting to believe it. Right. So it's one thing with to, to be belittled and talked about and talked down to. Um, but then when you actually start to believe what that person is saying, I think that for me was the last straw where I'm like, yeah, no, I, um, this isn't going to work for me. Um, and thankfully that relationship, um, uh, was, is broken. It was broken up obviously, um, with my wife now, but it was broken up. And, and after that, that was, that went on my non-negotiable list, actually, to never allow another human being, no matter what it is, in a relationship where that enters my my uh, little atmosphere here to ever talk down or belittle me. Uh, if you talk like that, then there's no need for us to have a relationship, because for me, I bring the utmost respect to any relationships that I have, and I expect that in return. I believe firmly in reciprocity, so if you're not reciprocating the, the type of energy that I'm giving out and the type of appreciation for conversation and dialogue that I'm giving out, then I, I don't feel like you're w worth my time personally. So, yeah, that was that was a good one, man. That was that was a good kind of lesson that I learned from a previous relationship. All right, let's touch on some insight from a former narcissist. Question number one, do narcissists ever let go? Once again, that question is, do narcissists ever let go? Yes, absolutely. Um, there are times in which they let go. And during those times, they've usually found a new supply. And for my new audience, a supply is someone that a narcissistic individual takes advantage of and continuously takes advantage of. Right. So if you if a narcissist, I should say, not you, finds a new supply um, that is completely head over heels for them, they will typically let you go. And in that instance, as I always say, that's a win for you. Uh, you don't need that narcissistic individual involved in your life. So as much pain as it may may be to let them go or to kind of get rid of them, it's all worth it in the long run because that person um, cannot add any value to your life. They only hinder. Question number two. Is it common that victims of narcissists 
get so hurt that they physically hurt or sometimes kill the narcissist? Once again, that question is, is it common that victims of narcissists get so hurt that they physically hurt or sometimes kill the narcissist? Yes. To answer that question, there's absolutely cases in which people quote unquote snap and they kill an individual that has caused them um, a, a tremendous amount of pain and a tremendous amount of emotional abuse, both uh, physically, uh, mentally, emotionally, all that good stuff. So there are times in which that happens. I will say, um, with that being said, if you are in a situation in which you feel like you want to kill a narcissist, please uh, seek psychological help and try your best to get away from that individual um, because I've, I firmly believe thoughts lead to action. So if you think something long enough or you think about something long enough, you'll end up acting on it. And I wouldn't want you to jeopardize your freedom, um, hurting or harming another person. And I know that sounds um, like something you probably don't want to hear, frankly. Sounds like something you probably don't want to hear. But at the end of the day, I would rather you you be around to be able to mentally handle things um, and, and be able to to see the fruits of your labor. And when I say fruits of your labor, that's overcoming um, being with a narcissist, because once you do truly find yourself, it's the most liberating feeling ever, because, you know, you will never deal with any of the emotional or physical abuse that anyone has has caused you in the past. So it's extremely liberating. Hang in there and seek professional help, please. Question number three, is it typical that a narcissist doesn't want you to know about their past or past relationships? Once again, that question is, is it typical that a narcissist doesn't want you to know about their past or past relationships? Yes, indeed. That is very, very typical of a narcissist, especially in instances in which um, their supplies or the people that they were dating in the past kind of foiled or, or figured out who they were. Um, and they one of the biggest fear of a narcissistic individual is that someone will tell the person that they're currently dating what who they are and what's going on and, and who they truly are and what they're truly capable of. One of the biggest fears of narcissistic individuals. So if you are dating a narcissist and they don't tell you about their past or um, don't tell you about past relationships, then there's a pretty good chance that. They were uh, their jig was up at a point in time and they don't want you to find out about that or make a connection with the person that can tell you about the person that they truly are. Question number four. It's been four months of no contact and I still cry daily as I miss him so much. When will this pain go away? Once again, that question is it's been four months of no contact and I still cry daily as I miss him so much. When will this pain end? Uh, I, first of all, I'm sorry to hear that. And I appreciate you telling me, um, about that four months. And I know this does not sound like something you want to hear, but four months is not a long time. Um, it's going to take time, right? It, it's different for everyone, but four months in, if you're still crying daily, then there's a pretty good chance that it's going to take some time to heal. Um, use this time, uh, to try to find yourself and try to find the things that you like to do. Find out the things you like to do and do a little more of those things in order to to kind of create and rebuild yourself. Um, I know, again, it's not the greatest thing to hear, but four months is not a long time for the healing process, especially when you've been with someone who's a narcissist and they um, they've beaten you down pretty much 
pretty good, I should say, emotionally, right? So give it some more time. Take this time and use it wisely to find yourself. And as you continue to find yourself and find out the things you enjoy doing, do more of those um, and do less of the things that you may have compromised with the with the narcissist in the past with and um, try to work on that angle. Right? The other thing that I want to encourage you to do is try to get some physical exercise into your routine. Physical exercise is excellent for your mental health um, and it'll uh, it'll help with the crying. I'll say that for sure. But four months, again, isn't a long time. Hang in there. Give it some more time. But as you're giving it time, use your time wisely and make sure you're uh, you're rebuilding and creating the person that you want to be for the long haul for the rest of your life. Question number five. Did you trust your narcissistic relationship partner and did he or she trust you? Once again, that question is, did you trust your narcissistic relationship partner and did he or she trust you? No, <laughs> absolutely not. And I think that um, having been in a relationship with a narcissistic individual, um, and having been, been one myself, I think that the, that's where I found out the foundation of any relationship is trust, right? If you don't have trust in a relationship, if you can't trust your partner, if your partner can't trust you, then there is nothing there. Um, besides heartache in the long, in the long run, that is besides heartache and, um, possibly, uh, the destruction of lives. And when I say destruction of lives, I mean, lives of children, if you have them. Um, so I know absolutely not trust is the foundation of any relationship. You cannot have a trusting relationship with a narcissistic individual, narcissistic individual, because they will lie and manipulate situations, even if you catch them red handed. Right. So, no, um, there was no trust in the relationship with the narcissist. And I don't think there can ever be a trust in a relationship with any narcissistic individual. And finally, question number six, why do spouses of many narcissists put up with abuse? They put up with the abuse they get instead of getting divorced. Once again, that question is, why do spouses of many narcissists put up with abuse they get instead of getting divorced? I think that um, as human beings, we're creatures of habit. So in a lot of cases, people, spouses of narcissistic individuals are used to being around narcissistic people. Right. So they may have seen narcissistic in their caregiver, narcissistic traits in their caregivers growing up. And they thought, oh, OK, this is how a relationship is supposed to go. So as we gotten older, as we've gotten older, um, we just inherited a lot of those traits and carry them out. Right. So. If a spouse is in a relationship with a narcissistic individual, unlike a person who may have seen healthy relationships growing up, they don't think, oh, OK, this is not healthy or my needs are not getting met in this relationship. Let me get divorced. It's it's not like that. It's more of, OK, this person is just like my mom or this person is just like my dad or any other caregiver that I was around a lot. And they accepted this type of abuse. So I have to accept it. Right. And it's a very unfortunate reality. But it is a reality that we that we live and that we face um, in understanding that anything that that's foreign right to that to that spouse. Right. So if they decide one day, um, you know what, I'm done with this relationship, I'm, I'm not going to be with this narcissistic individual. It's essentially stepping outside of their comfort zone and it's putting them in a position where they will be completely vulnerable and a lot of people don't like being vulnerable, whether you're in an abusive situation or not. Vulnerability is a huge kind of uh, deficit to our society, right? People don't like being vulnerable. So, again, um, 
yeah, human beings, as human beings, we're creatures of habit. And a lot of relationships that we enter, especially when we talk about marriage, um, it's with narcissistic people. A lot of those relationships are just relationships that the spouse has been in or, or seen play out throughout their entire lives. Right. So don't don't uh, frown upon those type of people. Just give them some empathy and hopefully one day they'll eventually be able to kind of snap out of the mind control of that narcissistic individual. All right, we're back at full swing, guys. So hit us up at TQLP20 at gmail.com with any questions that you guys have for Wednesday episodes. Again, that's TQLP20 at gmail.com or hit us up on our Facebook page, The Quality of Love Podcast. And remember, guys, as always, the quality of love and relationships that you have in your life will determine the quality of your life. Peace and love.